we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Clarity is seeing things as they are, seeing what is, without any opinion, seeing the movement of your mind, observing it very closely, minutely, diligently, without any purpose, without any directive. Hello and welcome to episode 219 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast features carefully selected extracts from the archives. The aim is to represent different aspects of Krishnamurti's radical approach to many of the issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is clarity. Upcoming themes are jokes and anecdotes, quiet and patterns and formulas. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK, which is also home to the Krishnamurti Centre. The centre offers a variety of group retreats from February to December, including for young adults. The atmosphere is one of openness and friendliness, with a sense of freedom to inquire with others and alone. Please visit krishnamurticentre.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on your podcast app. This helps our visibility. This week's episode on clarity has two sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Sanan, 1977, titled Clarity, Skill and Compassion. Please listen, I'm going to investigate something totally new this morning. And I hope you will have the kindness and the seriousness to listen, not agreeing or disagreeing, but thinking over together, thinking together, logically, sanely, rationally, and with certain sense of humility. When skill becomes all-important in life, because that's a means of livelihood, and when one is totally educated for that purpose, all our universities, colleges and schools are directed for that purpose. And that skill invariably breeds a certain sense of power, arrogance and 
self-importance. Right? What is the relationship of skill to clarity? And what is the relationship of clarity to compassion? These are the three things which we are going to discuss. As we talked about very often, the art of listening, the art of seeing, the art of learning. The art of listening is to listen so that naturally everything is put in its right place. The meaning of that word art means that, to put where things belong. And art of seeing is to observe without any distortion, obviously. If there is any distortion, there is no observation. If you mistake a bird for a snake, then you can't, you can't see clearly. In the same way, to see clearly, to have great clarity in perception, there must be no distortion. Distortion brought about by any form of motive, purpose, a direction. Right? May we go on? We are meeting each other, thinking together. And the art of learning is not only the acquisition of knowledge, which is necessary, which is necessary for skillful action, but also there is learning without accumulation. Right? This is a little more difficult. To learn, there are two types of learning, acquiring and gathering through experience, through books, through education, a great deal of knowledge. And that knowledge is used skillfully. That's one form of learning. There is the other form, which is never to accumulate, which means, please listen to this, which means never to register anything but that is a, which is absolutely necessary. Right? Are we meeting each other? That is, when you learn any form of knowledge, you, the brain is registering, accumulating knowledge, storing it up, and acting from that storage of knowledge, skillfully or unskillfully. But there is another form of learning, which is to become so totally aware 
that you only register what is absolutely necessary and nothing else. You understand this? So that the mind is not cluttered up all the time with knowledge, movement. I wonder if you are following all this. We will go into this. So there are these three essential things in the awakening of intelligence, which is the art of listening to communicate not only verbally but non-verbally exactly what you mean, and you listen without distortion. That is the art of learning. The art of seeing is to observe clearly, without a direction, without motive, without any form of desire, but to merely to observe. Right? And then there is the art, the art of learning, the art, accumulating knowledge, and which means registering all the things that are necessary for skillful action, and non-registering any psychological responses any psychological reactions, so that the, the brain is, empl- is employing itself where function, skill are necessary through knowledge, and the brain is free <coughs> not to register. Right? I wonder if you understand this. It's very arduous this, to be so totally aware, so that you only register what is necessary and not, absolutely not register anything which is not necessary. Someone insults you, someone flatters you, someone calls you this or that, no registration. Right? This gives tremendous clarity. Right? Not only with regard to skill, which is the outcome of knowledge. Why am I getting so? It's very exciting, you don't know what it means. I was thinking about it yesterday. I want to talk about it day before yesterday, but it slipped. To register and not to register. So there is no psychological building up of the me, the structure of the self. The structure of the self arises only when there is registration of everything that is not necessary. That is, giving importance to the name, 
the one's name, form, one's experience, uh, one's opinions, conclusions, all that is, is the gathering up of the energy of the Self, which is always distorting. Right? Right? Shall we go on? I mean, please, I can go on, but you must keep on, keep together with me. We are taking the journey together. I am not walking ahead of you or walking behind you. We are all moving together. So, where there is the art of learning, where there is putting everything in its right place. Therefore, to listen without any conclusion, without any opinion, which are all distorting factors. And in that listening one discovers the false and the true, without any effort, because when there is actual attention given to, learn, to listening, that very attention excludes everything that's not absolute factual, right? And in the art of seeing, when one is, when one observes with one's conclusions, opinions, dogmas, beliefs, you cannot possibly see very clearly. Obviously. And the art of learning. Learning to accumulate knowledge to act in life skillfully. But any other form of registering distorts, gives importance to skill, and therefore it becomes mechanical. I hope you understand this. Right? You see this? So, the art of listening, the art of seeing, the art of learning gives extraordinary clarity. And therefore, that clarity can communicate verbally. Right? So, the, there is the, the skill in action. If there is no clarity, it breeds self-importance. Whether that self-importance is identified with a group, with, a, with oneself or with a nation. And that self-importance denies clarity, naturally. So, skill, Clarity and compassion. You cannot have clarity without compassion. And because we have no compassion, skill has become more important. Right? May I take a rest bit? 
It is very important to understand this. Because when you li- Because when you listen to all this, seriously, with attention, and therefore sharing together in our thinking, logically and so on, when you have this compassion, clarity and skill, then you become the teacher. Because then you have the teaching. Not mine or in the teaching. And so it becomes extraordinarily important for a person who listens. And this clarity is denied when there is any form of fear. Right? And most human beings are, have a great deal of fear, which denies compassion. Right? Fear. Oh God, and it will go through all that. Fear of various kinds. Fear of going old. Fear of losing your husband, wife, uh, losing your girl, boy, and so on. Fear of not being successful, you know, various forms of fear. I hope you are aware of your own fears. You may not be aware of them sitting here at the present moment, but if you are serious, you don't have to invite fear, it is there. So you can look at the fear now, right? You don't have to say, well, I'm not afraid at the moment and I can't recall my fears, which is absurd, because you are, you are a living human being now and in that, in that state your fears, are, though they may be dormant, are still there, right? Consciously or unconsciously. So, Fear, in any form, both physiological as well as psychological, distorts clarity. And therefore, a person that is afraid, in any form, has no compassion. We'll go into the whole question of compassion later, much, but let's take all this together. So. If you see, that is, as I said, the art of seeing, the art of observing very clearly, and that's only possible when you say, I, when you don't want to get rid of fear, because then that becomes a distorting factor, or you are unconscious of your fears, which is also a distorting factor. Right? 
So to be aware of the fear, the many fears which which have a common root, right? Agree to this? Oh, come on! It's like a tree. A tree has many, many branches and many leaves, and fear also has many branches, many leaves, many expressions of fear, which breed their own flowering and their their own fruit, which is action, right? So one must go to the very root of fear, not take various forms of fears, but the root of fear. Is that clear? (coughs) Look, one may be afraid of darkness, one may be afraid of losing one's wife or husband, one may be afraid of having no money, one may be afraid of, of some past pain and not wanting it again, one may be afraid of a dozen things. And analytically you can go through them one by one, right? Which is such a waste of time, isn't it? Whereas it would be much simpler and more direct if you go to the root of fear, <coughs> right? I don't think many of us realize or are aware deeply the nature of fear, what it does to human beings. Because when there is fear, there is many kinds of neurotic actions. Fear of being lonely. You know, most of us are, most of you are lonely. And so you seek companionship, escaping from loneliness. So companionship becomes very important. (coughs) And if you have no companionship, your fear arises. (coughs) Or out of that loneliness, you build a wall around yourself, you resist, you escape, and out of that escape, resistance, suppression, grows every form of neurotic action. So it is very important to understand the nature and the structure of fear because it will not give clarity. And there is no clarity, there is no awakening of intelligence, which is our meaning that we have gathered together here to see if if we cannot awaken that intelligence which is neither yours nor mine, it is intelligence. 
and that intelligence as its own action, which is non-mechanistic and therefore without cause. I wonder if you understand all this. Right? Somebody, yes? So it's very important to understand and be free totally, completely of fear. Right? Is that what we are prepared to do? Is that what we are thinking together? We see the importance and the urgency of being completely both consciously as well as unconsciously, to, become, to wipe fear away. One can deal with fear, with conscious fears, fairly comparatively easily. Right? But it's much more difficult to be free of fears of which you know not of, fears that are hidden. Right? Right? Do you understand this? Say, may I go on? <laughs> How are you going to examine? They are deep-rooted fears. Is it possible to examine them? Psychologists say it is possible through analysis. Right? Through dreams, through careful psychoanalytical therapy. That is, one must go into this question of analysis altogether, so that the mind is free from the analytical process, because that is, analysis doesn't clear up the mind, right? There is no clarity in analysis, because the more you analyse, the more there is, and it might take you the whole of your life. At the end of it you have nothing. Right? So, we are going to think together and find out the truth, not the truth, not yours or mine, but the truth of analysis. Right? Can we, are you, can we go together? First of all, in analysis there is the observer and the observed, right? The analyzer and the analyzed, which is the analyzer says, I'm going to analyze my reactions, right? My dreams, my desires, my fears. But the, is the analyzer different from the fear? You understand? Different from the thing which he's going to analyze. You must be very clear on this. All this we are asking, is the analyzer different from the analyzed? If you say they are different, which most of people do, then you are caught 
in everlasting conflict. Right? That is, the analyzer, being different, he can, exa- <coughs> he can examine <coughs> he can examine his, his responses of jealousy, anger, violence, and in that examination, in that analysis, the examiner thinks he's separate, right? And this separation will inevitably divide, and therefore there must be conflict. Right? Where there is division, there must be conflict. Where there are divisions between two nations and so on. Divisions between man and woman. Not the woman is the same as the man, so obviously biologically they are not. But the the ideas, the accumulated responses of each, the images one has of each, they divide. And therefore there is conflict in all relationships. Right? Can we go on? So, when there is analysis and the analyzer is different, there must be inevitably conflict. And we are educated. Most unfortunately, to have conflict. It is a way of our life. If we have no conflict, we say, What's wrong with me? And to have conflict is the essence of neuroticism, as violence. So, and in analysis, time is necessary, right? I may take days, months, years, if you have the energy, the capacity, the money, then you can go on analyzing yourself endlessly. It becomes quite fun. Then you have somebody to go to and tell them all about your trouble, troubles and pay fifty dollars whatever you pay. That's such a waste of time. So in analysis, time is implied. That is postponement, right? Of the immediate solution of the problem. And so, analysis implies conflict, analysis implies time, analysis implies no ending to any problem. So, when you see that that's a fact, when you see the truth of it or see the fact, you will never analyze. Right? Then what will you do? If you have been educated, as most of people are, to analyze, it is necessary to analyze technologically medicine and so on. But psychologically, analysis not only breeds time division, but also each analysis must be complete, mustn't it? Otherwise, 
the incompleteness of analysis is brought over from yesterday, and that with that incomplete analysis you examine the new fact. Right? So there is always a colouring of from the past the present. Right? If you see this very, very, very clearly, and I hope you are making it as clear as possible. I one could talk about it endlessly, but there is no time for this. Then what will you do if you don't analyze? If you see, analysis is a false process, in spite of all the big names, philosophy, all the rest of them. If you yourself see actually the truth that analysis doesn't lead anywhere, then what will you do? Now we're going to take fear. Most of us are accustomed to analyze fear, the cause and the effect. Right? What has made one afraid? The cause, one seeks the cause. Right? That's the process of analysis. One may have, it may be a hundred causes. Or it may be a single cause. And the cause with its effect, the effect becomes the cause, the next reaction, right? So there is causation, effect, and the effect becomes cause. So when you are seeking a cause, you are caught up in this chain. Right? Are you following all this? Hmm? And therefore there is no release from this chain, which is part of analysis. Are we following this? Huh? Clear? So am I, when one asks if there is no analysis, then what will happen to my fear? What will happen to the fear that one has? The fears may be dozen, but the root of fear, we are concerned with the root, not with the branches, right? If you can pull out the root, it's finished. The whole tree is dead. Right? So what is the root of fear? Can one find that out through analysis? Obviously not, because I have explained the reasons, the logic of not being able to see the root of fear if you are caught with, with analysis. Right? So what is the root of fear? Is it time? Time being chronological. There is the watch, time by the watch. Yes, 24 hours, sunset, sunrises. That's one form of time. There is the other, 
which is psychological tie. Right? Are you following this? That is the tomorrow. Psychologically, I will solve my problems day after tomorrow. Right? So, is fear the result of time? I've had one has had pain yesterday or last week, and that pain is registered in the brain, which is unnecessary. Right? See the and that regis that pain being registered, then there's the fear of that pain happening again a week later. When there is no registration of that pain, then there is no fear, which is time. You understand what? Oh, come on! Are we meeting each other somewhere? Am I explaining clearly? There is fear when there is measurement, right? When I measure. When one measures oneself with somebody, there is fear. I am not as intelligent as you are, and I would like to be as intelligent as you are, and I am afraid I may not be. All that is a movement of time, isn't it? Which is measurement, which is comparison. So, measurement, time, comparison, imitation breeds fear. Are you following? And all that which is time, measure, comparison is the movement of thought. Right? So, Thought is the very root of fear. Please see the logic, huh? reasoning of this. It is not just haphazard statement. We are, we are thinking together, examining together, taking the journey together to find out. And we see. Analysis is not the solution. Finding the cause is not the solution. And time is not the solution, time being measurement comparison. And time is the movement of thought. So the problem then is. Not how to be free of fear or how to suppress fear, but to understand the whole movement of thought. Right? See how far we have gone away from the demand to be free of fear. We are entering into something much greater. 
much more comprehensive. And if there is understanding of the whole movement of thought, it must be holistic, whole. And fear arises only when there is the me, which is the small, and not whole. I wonder if you understand all this. So, the art of learning, the art of seeing, the art of listening. In that art there is no movement of thought, right? I'm just listening to you. Why should I interfere with my thoughts? I'm seeing, observing. In that observation there is no movement of thought, right? I just observe. I observe the mountain, the trees, the rivers, the people, without any projection of my background and so on, which is the movement of thought. Right? And thought is necessary to accumulate knowledge to function skillfully. But otherwise thought has no place whatsoever. And this brings tremendous clarity. Doesn't it? I hope you have clarity. Have you? Clarity means there is no centre from which you are functioning. Right? A centre which is put together by thought as the me, mine, they and we. Right? So, and that centre, <coughs> because where there is a centre there must be circumference, and where there is circumference there is resistance, there is division. And that's one of the causes, fundamental causes of fear, causes, goals. Right? So, when we consider fear, we are considering the whole movement of thought which breeds fear. And clarity is only possible when thought is completely in abeyance. Right? That is, when thought has its right place, which is, the, which is to act in the field of knowledge and not enter into any other field. You understand, sir? Therefore, in that there is total elimination of all opinion, judgment, evaluation. There is only listening seeing and learning. And without that clarity skill becomes the most destructive thing in life, which is what is happening in the world. 
can go to the moon and put the flag of your country up there, which is not clarity. You can kill each other through wars by the extraordinary development of technology, which is the movement of thought. You can divide yourselves into races, communes, uh, and so on, so on, so on, which are all divisions created by thought. So thought is fragmentary, right? I wonder if you see all this. Come on. So whatever it does must be fragmented. Fragmented, fragmented. Right? Do we see this? I wonder if you do. Thought is a fragment. Thought is limited. Thought is conditioned. Thought is narrow, because thought is based on experience, knowledge, which is the past, which is time-binding, right? So that which is time-binding is necessarily limited. Therefore, thought is fragment, right? Right, sir? So thought can never understand that which is whole. Thought can never understand that which is immeasurable, which is timeless. The timeless, the immeasurable, one can imagine. Thought can say, put up all kinds of imaginary future structures, but it is still limited. So God, thought, put together by thought, is, God is limited, right? Huh? <laughs> no, I'm afraid those of you who believe in God won't see this, because your God is the result of your thought of your fears, of your desire to be secure. And you might say, has not God created all nature? Talk to the scientists and they'll tell you about it. Biologists and the theoretical physicists and so on. So thought Whatever, please see the truth of this, and you'll clarity will come like like a sun out of the clouds. That thought is world, and the world is never the thing. The world is the description of the thing, but the thing is not the description. Right? 
So you have to then find out to have to be fear becomes then completely in useless. It has no meaning. Then you have to find out whether stop whether thought can ever remain in its field. You understand? And not move out of that field. That is to register because that's the function of the brain, to register so that it can be secure, so that it can be safe. Right? It is safe, secure in the field of knowledge, because that's the function of the brain accumulating knowledge so as to be secure in that field. Because you can't live without security. Food, clothes, and shelter one must have. Not the few, but the many. All. And that's only possible when <coughs> thought only operates there. And when it does not register in any other direction, there is then no nationality, there is no you and me. I don't know if you see, right? There is no division. Because thought, then there is, when there is no registration, the mind is free to look. Right? The mind is free to observe. And when there is that clarity, skill never becomes mechanical. You understand, sir? Because there is functioning always from that clarity. Whatever the skill be, is functioning, acting from that clarity which is born out of compassion. Right? So one has to inquire very deeply into what is compassion. Can we go into it now? You understand, we have talked very clearly about clarity and skill and the dangers of skill without clarity. Well, the skill then becomes a means of self-aggrandizement, the aggrandizement of a nation, of a group, you know, the whole process of it. So we are saying there are three things one must understand very, very carefully, understand in the sense, not intellectually, not verbally, but actually see the, the quality of it. 
with three things which are compassion, clarity and skill. Right? And when there is compassion, there is no division between clarity and skill. Right? It's one movement. And because we are caught up in skill, we don't see the total movement. <coughs> so what is the nature and the structure of compassion? To understand it, one must go into the whole question of pleasure, love, suffering, death. Can't just say, I have compassion. The mind that says, I am compassionate, is not compassionate. You understand? I wonder if you do. Then when the mind says, I am intelligent, it's no longer intelligent, because it's conscious of itself, right? When it's conscious of itself, there is no intelligence. So one must go into this question, what is, na- what is the depth and the meaning and the significance and the beauty of compassion? And to do that, one must inquire not only as we did into pleasure, into fear, but also into pleasure. Is love pleasure? Is love desire? Is love of another a remembrance? Is love of another an image? All these are involved when we think over together this question of compassion. And we can only go go into it when we go together, not I, the speaker goes into it and you just listen, when we together go into it, because a human being is not alone. He is the essence of all human beings, and that's a fact, that's a reality. That's not my invention, my wanting to identify myself with the whole. The absolute fact is you are, as a human being, living through millennia after millennia, you are the representative of whole of mankind, the mankind that has suffered, agonised, shed tears, killed and be killed, jealous, angry, anxious, seeking pleasure, caught in fear. You are all that. Therefore you are, you are the entire humanity. And when there is a total revolution in this consciousness, there is to, that 
that revolution affects the consciousness of mankind. That's a fact. That's why it's so urgently important that each one of us who listens, and you are good enough to listen, serious enough to take the journey together, when you fundamentally, deeply, cycle consciousness change its content, they will affect the whole of mankind. The second and final extract in this episode is from the sixth talk in Madras, 1964, titled Clarity is Essential. To observe the movement of the breeze in the tree, you can't do anything about it. It moves either with violence or with grace, with beauty. You, the observer, cannot control it. You cannot shape it. You cannot say, I will keep it in my mind, it is there. You may remember it, but if you remember it and recollect the next moment, next time you look at it, that breeze in the tree, you are not looking at the actual movement of the tree, but only remembering the, the movement of the path. Therefore, you are not learning, knowing, but merely adding to what you already know. So knowledge then becomes, at a certain level, impediment to further learning. I hope this is very clear. Just to observe demands astonishing clarity. Otherwise you can't observe. If you would observe an ant moving about, doing all the activities it does, if you come to it with various uh, biological knowledge about the ant, you the knowledge prevents you from looking. <laughs> so you begin to see immediately where knowledge is necessary and where knowledge becomes an impediment. So there is no confusion. Where the mind is clear, precise, capable of deep fundamental reason. It is in a state of negative, of negation. Because most of us accept things so easily, we are so gullible. Because we want comfort, we want security, we want sense of hope, somebody to save us. Masters, saviors, gurus, rishis, you know, the whole mess of it. And 
we accept so readily, easily. And equally easily we deny. According to the climate of our mind. So, clarity in the sense of seeing things as they are within oneself. Because oneself is part of the world. Oneself is the movement of the world. Oneself is the outer expression which is the movement that goes inwardly. It's like a tide that goes out and comes in. To merely concentrate or observe yourself apart from the world leads you to isolation and to all forms of idiosyncrasy, neurosis, and isolating fears and so on. But if you observe the world and follow the movement of the world, then ride that movement as it comes within. Then there is no division between you and the world. Then you are not an individual and opposed to the collective. And there must be this sense of observation, which is both explorative, which is exploring and observing, listening and being aware. I am using the word observing in that sense. The very act of observation is the act of exploration. You cannot explore if you are not free. And therefore, to explore, to observe, there must be clarity. Because to explore within yourself deeply, you must come to it each time afresh. That is, in that exploration you have never achieved, achieved, achieved a result. You have never climbed a ladder says, now I know. There is no ladder. If you do climb, you must come down immediately. So that your mind is so tremendously sensitive to observe, to watch, to listen. And out of this observing, listening, seeing, watching, comes the, that extraordinary beauty of virtue.